Good evening. We're continuing the series of the Talmud. Today it's number 38. If you remember, last week we finished Masechet uh, Kiddushin. And uh, we're going to start right now a new Masechet, which is Baba Kama. There are three different Masechetot we call Baba. Baba Kama, Baba Metzia, and Baba Batra, which actually should have been one Masechet. It was break broken into three, because it's going to be too long. But they're really all similar in the subjects. It's all about money issues, damages, uh, watching items, finding items, uh, arguments between neighbors, your animals may damage, you may damage to someone, etc., etc. All these damages issues, and they're all in those three masachtot. In Aramaic, Bava means a gate, a door. Kama means first. So this is the first door, and then Metzia is the middle. Metzia means Emtza, the middle. So the middle door. And then Baba Batra, Batra means the last one in Aramaic, which means the third door. One, two, three, okay? This is it, we're starting. If you remember to refresh your memory last week, the last thing of the lecture was a person should not, looking for, should not look for a job to, to deal with women, which means every job who would, uh, would make you deal with the ladies all day, it's better to stay away from this kind of jobs because one thing leads to another. Also, a person should be very careful what kind of job he teaches son, what kind of a profession. And, uh, and uh, we spoke a little bit about the doctors, you know, why it's a hard job to be a doctor in, and to stay a tzaddik at the same time. We spoke about all these things. That was in number 37. Okay, so let's start now number 38. Every person who see a eulogy in his dream should know that he should have died, God forbid, but Hashem redeemed him, thanks to something, maybe something good he did. So he was redeemed from dying, and this eulogy, God forbid, should have been his. Now remember, there are, I want to make a few comments about it. First comment, first comment, is that uh, the dreams today, in general, don't have the same powers like the dream two, three thousand years ago. We found in the time of the Torah, the time of Pharaoh, you saw the dreams describe the next 14 years of life in the whole world. Starvation, wealth, you know, the seven skinny cows, the seven fat cows, and all these things. The dream of Yosef, change the entire history of the world for the next 14 years. You know, so you saw that the dreams had great significance. Also in the time of the Gemara, which was 2,000 years ago, it was a whole profession of people sitting and solving dreams. Today, because of the, the level of, of holiness is much, much, much lower, the level of impurity is also much, much lower, which means the Tumah, people could have done all kinds of magics with the impurity, like Bilam. Today, there's still people can do it, but in a much lower level. Same thing, the holiness had such power, you know, and today it's much, much lower. Why am I saying this? Because today people getting panicked for all kinds of dreams that they have, because they heard that, that Gemara said that this dream is bad, this dream is a life risk, this dream is children can die, all kinds of things like that. 
When in reality, the dreams are not as dangerous as they used to be. That's number one. That's the first comment. Now the second comment, even the dream that is true and is a message from heaven, it depends where it was. If it was in the beginning of the night or the middle of the night, there's no significance to the dream. It's not important. Why? Because the person usually dreams about things that he's used to think about during the last week or everything he went, he heard things. Now you may say sometimes, you see, I had that dream, but I don't remember thinking in the last week about this subject. So obviously, uh, it's obviously it's a real dream because if I was thinking about a dentist yesterday or I spoke to the secretary to make an appointment, then I dreamed that my teeth are falling, then I see the connection. But promise you, Rabbi, last week, nothing about the dentist or teeth came to my mind. I didn't look at any teeth in the commercials or anything like that. And obviously, I had that dream. Then there's enough reason to worry about. So the answer is no, because first of all, you have to check if the dream is towards the morning or not, six, seven in the morning, just before you wake up. Then it could be a real dream. Any time before that, four, three, two, one, is no significance. Plus, many of the things goes into our brain without us being aware of it. There's conscious and subconscious. I can now hypnotize a person and get from him what happened to him in the last hour and show him a video of how he described his last hour. He said, that's not me. <laughs> None of the things I spoke about I really heard. None of the things I spoke about I really saw. I didn't pay attention to all these things I was saying. How is it? Because a person, every beep around him, every second of his life is recorded. You walk in the street, your mind is what's going on over there. So you're going towards the store. In reality, everything who happens around you, in the back, on the, above, everywhere, every people who walk on the side, that you don't even look at them, everything is being recorded constantly. It's like you have a thousand cameras that record everything around you. And I can get it out of your subconscious. It's the storage of the brain. And obviously, when you go to sleep, the computer is absorbing everything that you heard today and separate it to the right places because the brain is a very, very sophisticated machine, much bigger than any other computer you know, right? The connection between the brain and the eyes and the memory and everything, it's very, very sophisticated. So that's why sometimes it can come from what you saw and you don't know. That's why you don't pay too much attention to it. If the dream repeats two, three times, and it's also all the time in the morning, and it's also a bad dream, according to, because sometimes the dream looks very bad, but it's a very good dream. If a person dreams that he dies, that could be a very good dream. If a dead person come to visit and give something, many people get panic, that's a very good dream. There's dreams that looks bad, but they're actually good. If a, if a snake came to him and, and, and beat him, that means it's gonna make a lot of money. So yeah, people, oh, a snake beat me, that means I'm going to die right away, run to the lawyer to write a will. Why? Because he had that dream once or twice. So he's very nervous. Not everything that looks bad is bad, and not everything that looks good is good. Sometimes the dream may look very good, and it's a very bad thing. So, like I said, don't go too much into panic. Everything, take it in the right perspective. Now let's move on. So the Gemara says, אמר רבי שמואל בר נחמני, אמר רבי יונתן, אין פורענות באה לעולם אלא בזמן שהרשעים בעולם. All the crises in the world, all the problems, all the tragedies, 
Why they coming to the world? That you hear floods, earthquakes, massive attacks, all kinds of things that are happening all the time. You know, they have to evacuate this place and that place, and and and, and sicknesses and and all kinds of uh, of viruses, and, and there's so many things that are happening all the time here, there, everywhere. There's not one day without some kind of a tragedy in the world. You know, so what is it? What's the source of all these tragedies? The wicked people. But when the tragedy starts, even the righteous people pay the price. What does it mean? You live in a place when there's most, you know, you can be most of the people in your area are wicked people. And then God wants to punish this town. Now you may think, I know I'm good. I pray, I learn Torah, I eat kosher, I make bracha, I give tzedakah, I took my children and put them in a kosher school, and my wife is modest, I live, I keep tarat mishpacha, I'm a good husband, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm not abusing my wife, I'm a good father, what else can be? Why I would die with all these wicked people around me, just because I live in the same block? The answer is yes. You can be 100% clean, when Hashem wants to wipe up your, t your city, you go with them. There's no separation. This is what the Gemara says. Without the Gemara, we would never know that that's how it works. But this is what it says. It says like this. The opposite. The righteous people will be, most of the time, the first one to pay the price. Why? You want to live in San Francisco? You want to live in a village? You want to live in all kinds of bad places? When something happens, you're going to be the first one to get affected. When the angel of death got his permission to go to that place, like we saw in the, in the Torah in Sodom and Gomorrah, what happened, how they destroying the entire place. If it's an individual punishment, go take Mr. X, go take Mr. Y. Go take Mrs. B, Mrs. A, Mrs. C, whatever her name is. Then he goes after that woman or after that man. Jew, Goy, doesn't matter. There is a, a mission now to fulfill. But if Hashem say God destroyed San Francisco, the angel of death doesn't care who lives in San Francisco anymore. Why? Everybody goes together. That's what happened. That's why one of the things we learn from here, better never to live in a place when wicked people are. And most of the Jews in the world, of the from Jews, they listen to this order of the Gemara. Most of them live where? Yerushalayim, in religious areas. Bnei Brak, it's all religious. There are many, many new cities in Israel in the last 15 years. It's all from, all religious. Some of them are even closed cities cannot even enter on Shabbat with a car or anything like that. And in New York, we have Mansi, it's 99% religious Jews. And then you have Borough Park, 99% religious Jews. Williamsburg, 100% religious Jews. And, uh, and that's it. Now the rest of the religious Jews, what we call more modern, they already live whatever they feel comfortable. I like that house. They choose their place where they live based on materialism. Ooh, gorgeous house. Nice mention, prestige, I'm an important doctor, I'm an important lawyer, I'm an important businessman, all my colleagues live in this area. There's not kosher shul there, there's no good schools there, it doesn't care so much. We'll manage, we'll manage here, we'll put this boy here, this one will have a driver. Somehow they manage. 
But a kosher Jew first has to check. I want to move to another to a place. First thing, how are the schools there? Very, very good schools or half and half? Half and half, even you get a house for free, a 20,000 square feet house, beautiful, anything you can think of, ready to go, but the schools are not good, you don't have permission to live there, what? When you go and you destroy your children just because you're gonna have a nice house with a backyard? This is your priorities in life, shame on you that this is what you care about. You want, and then you wanna say that you're religious? Who are you fooling? You're not even fooling yourself. So the idea here, first, the schools. If all the schools are good, then you check the Jewish environment, the shuls, the synagogues, the people, the stores, glad kosher, not glad kosher, kosher area, it's an area of traffic. Sometimes the city can be mostly religious, but that block where you want to live is right by the highway or right by a major road that all day going are driving and who knows what. The Puerto Rican day parade that all the ladies come naked and they're gonna go through your neighborhood for the entire 20 hours now, every, I don't know, every once in a while. And then this parade and that parade or there's Walmart over there, everyone go through your neighborhood. So yeah, you move next to a kosher school or even next to a kosher synagogue 10 blocks away, but this particular house is much on the border of hell. That's it. Look, you're coming out of your window and this is what you see all day. Or you can be in a building, like in Miami Beach, is buildings that inside the building there's a kosher shul and there's a lot of of Orthodox Jews live in this building. And this is even very fancy building, $2 million apartments or whatever. But if you come out of there, you're right on the beach. Your children come to the terrace, what do they see? Five million women with bikinis. And then you can think that you love Hashem. You went to live on the beach and now, ah, Rabbi, but what do you want? We have a, we have a shul, we don't, who are you fooling? Understand? So everything, everything Hashem takes to consideration. This is what the Gemara say, when the time comes to pay a massive payment, God forbid you go with the flood. You go with the flood. The flood doesn't know, oh, this house we have to skip. You know, the flood comes, massive amount of water, another house, and another house, and another house. Oh, there's a righteous person here. Wait, wait, let's make a turn. Have, we have to go against gravity, I don't know, up the hill, and we go around, and we skip that window. Maybe we jump from above the house. Come on. So this is how it is. Then the Gemara continues, Tanura Banan, Dever Bair. There's an epidemic in town. People are falling and dying. SARS, remember SARS? Really, if we, if we look at that, SARS could have been the end of the world two, three years ago. Because this is not a regular virus. Virus, you get infected by getting blood from someone or touching someone's wound or, or food, eating from the same plate, etc. Until everybody gets infected may take thousands of years until it gets to every person in the world. But an epidemic that goes through air, which means a person comes into a store and there's 20 people eating there in a restaurant and he talks, and the germs are going all over, that means all the 20 people now have it now. Each one of the 20 goes to a store, that means already 2,000 people have it in, a, in an hour. And then the 2,000 became 20,000, and the 20,000 became a million, 
and the million became 10 million, and the 10 million, 200 million, and that's the end of the world. Really, it should have been. But Hashem gave a warning, and then he took it in a mysterious way. It disappeared. Nobody ever found a cure for it. Nobody knew even anything about it. Remember what I'm talking about on Osars? Everyone was panicking, going with masks and all kinds of things. And all of a sudden, it disappeared. All the thousands of cases stopped to infect people. I don't understand. How did it happen? Nobody opened up his eyes. Naturally, that would be the end of the world. We wouldn't be here today, naturally. Because everywhere you go, you get on a bus, everybody gets it. You, get, you understand the idea? And Hashem took it away. And this is it. So dever, dever means a sickness, an epidemic that goes in the city. A person should not walk in the middle of the roads. Why? Because the angel of death and all his messengers are using the, the main roads. And then the Gemara says, if, if there is an epidemic in the city, a person should not enter to a shul by himself, to a shul, to a synagogue alone. Why? Because the angel of death is pulling all his things over there, whatever that means. It's secrets, I don't know what it means. Kelav, you know what kelav means? It's tools. What tools? His swords, I don't know what is it. His, his messengers, all the angels who work for him, who knows. What kind of shul? Shul that nobody learns Torah over there. But if people learn Torah in that shul, if there's 10 people who learn Torah, which means during the day is used as a yeshiva, then you have a special protection because the angel of death cannot enter there where there is Torah. So we see that Torah is higher than prayers. Prayers did not have enough power. You have three, 400 people in the shul praying every day. It didn't have the power to kick the angel of death out of the, out of the building. But 10 people, 10 little kids sitting and learning over there, he already cannot enter. We're talking day and night, around all the time. No, there's no time. The Gemara didn't give a time. The Gemara says when you hear all the dogs in town beginning to cry and to bark, everywhere you go, dogs are barking. The angel of death is in town. Something is about to happen. Why is it? Because the animals can see what we don't see. Many times you can sit in a house on a very, very quiet night, no, no, not one beep in your quiet neighborhood. You have a dog or a cat, and all of a sudden the dog is jumping and he's getting very nervous and he's looking up, he's moving his tail, and he goes hide in a corner. I've seen it in my own eyes sometimes. How they be, and you wonder what's happening here. Why well, he sees things, demons and all kinds of bad angels that we cannot see. They get very scared. We we don't see this because if we would see it for one second, then we will never be able to function anymore. It will be the end of our life, mentally. From fear, it will make us a permanent damage. So if you know all the dogs are barking, expect something bad to happen. Today, I can tell you something else. Today, we don't need to wait for the dog to bark. We know that something very bad will happen here in New York very soon. How do I know? Since when did you hear me giving a prophecy about the future? I all, usually everything I say, I read. Nothing is from my own opinion. But now I can tell you, based on my own opinion, knowing the Torah, knowing how, the, how Hashem functions, uh, a week ago they made 
the gay marriage legal here in New York for the first time, I believe, in history here. And that means that Hashem will do something to this place. Why, when a million people celebrate a massive scene, it's such Chilul Hashem, even though it's mostly Goim, but there's plenty of Jews there also, unfortunately, then the price will come. One way or the other, it could be another week, another month, we don't know, Hashem has his own timing. But it's almost guaranteed that something like this will happen. And we, remember, we are the people that living here, we also get affected by it. We're not going to say, oh, for me it's disgusting, I hate it, I cannot even look at this kind of wicked people. So what, I'm going to have to get hurt because of their sins, just because I live in the same area? Yes, unfortunately, yes. But we're not talking about someone who went far away, such as area that they, this kind of people really don't live there. I'm talking someone who lives in regular cities and you live in a building and everyone around you is like this. Like Manhattan, in every building you have this kind of people. Like in Queens, like in Brooklyn, you go into a building. Who lives in these buildings? What kind of neighbors you have over there? What do you think? This is the million and a half people who are celebrating on the street. They live somewhere. Where do they live? Manhattan, Brooklyn, Queens, Long Island, Staten Island, and Bronx. You know? How many of them live in Muncie? You can count on one hand if there is any. Why? They don't come to live with religious people. They're not interested. Ultra-Orthodox area. They want to go to places like go naked on the street and do whatever they want and nobody throw eggs at them. You know, in a place they feel intimidated, they're not coming. You understand? That's why every year when they want to make this dirty parade of them in Jerusalem, there's a big war. And at one point somebody threw some acid at them and somebody I think got killed. And, uh, and about a year ago, somebody went into their club and started to shoot at them and kill a few of them. There are certain areas that they're afraid to go. But in Tel Aviv, they feel like at home. That's their backyard. You understand? So if something, God forbid, will happen in Israel, which seed is going to get it first? Tel Aviv, Haifa, that's where they live. And they bring tragedies to this place. Now, don't ever dare to tell me it's not their fault. They're born like this. Why? Because my answer to you is, before you talk, you got to use your head. If Hashem says in the Torah that they deserve the worst punishment, which means stoning with no mercy, and they have no share to the world to come, that means they are 100% guilty. 100% guilty every time they make a sin. Now they may come and say, well, you have attraction to a woman and I have an attraction to a man. Yes, it's true. You have maybe a, a, this kind of attraction. But the same thing, a man that has an attraction to a woman cannot touch her be, unless she becomes his wife, then it's permitted. You have a problem. If this is your attraction, you have to work on yourself, but you have no permission to make scenes, even though you have, what is it like? Two people. One is very attracted to pork and one doesn't, doesn't feel anything. Oh, I don't care. I, don't, I can go all my life with no attractions to pork. So what, the person who has attraction to pork, he tasted it once, he cannot live without it. He has permission to eat. So he's coming to say to his friend, yeah, you're judging me. It's easy for you. You don't like it anyway. You don't eat it anyway. You don't like it. But I'm crazy about it. So who said that because you have this strong desire, you, you have permission to do it? It's not permission to do it. You do it, you pay the price. Now, if you're born like this, why the creator of the world who created you supposedly like this say to stone you to death with no mercy? Why? 
I never saw someone with blue eyes that's supposed to be stoned to death or brown eyes. I never saw a person that was born short and stay short all his life that now is a mitzvah to kill him. I never saw a, a woman because she's a woman kill her or a man because he's a man or someone who is blonde kill him or someone who, you know, I don't know, sick, so kill him. Well, I never saw. Nowhere in the Torah, the Torah said to give, permission, to give punishment to a person that is not guilty. If Hashem say, give them the worst punishment and don't have any mercy on them, what does he tell you? That they're 100% responsible. You understand or no? If Hashem said there is a punishment, even a light punishment, that means I could have lived without making that sin. If now I made that sin, that's why the Torah said that I deserve a punishment. No more arguments. You can say whatever they want. They can lie to themselves. They can bring psychologists to prove all kinds of nonsense. One word in the Torah, it's better than a billion articles they're going to write and five billion uh, researches and all kinds of shows they're going to make trying to prove it's all baloney. There is one truth, the truth of the creator of the world. These kind of people are big sinners and all we have to have, hope that they will make repentance. We don't have to sit and wish them bad and hope they all get killed. No, that's not the point. The point is, as the Gemara say, pray for those who you know or those even you don't know. Pray that they will have the strength and the, and the intelligence to know that they have to treat their problem and overcome this desire. And I, in 16 years that I work, I can't say that I had major success, but three of them, I got out of it and they got married. Three of them, I got out of it. And you know, it's, it's difficult, I know it's difficult and it requires a lot of work. Today I don't have the time that I had many years ago, but here is a, a, a proof that it's possible. And one of them even said that he got engaged and in two weeks he's getting married to his fiance. And uh, he told me, I cannot leave, I cannot wait now two weeks until I'm gonna be with her in an intimate relation. He, he couldn't wait for that opportunity, how strong his desire was for a woman which 10 months ago, he couldn't even, when, it's, when I started to talk to him, he couldn't even see how there is a chance that one day he's going to be able to even stand next to a woman in intimate relation. That's how the first conversation was. It's just impossible. I can't even see myself how I'm going to do it. But 10 months later, you know, with the right advices and the right direction, he became a new person. Why? It's all in the head. It's all in the head. Same thing, anxiety attack, panic attacks, all these things is all in the head. This is also in the head. And when you know how to penetrate into the head, you can put things in the right places. And that's everything. Same thing, even relationship between a man and a woman, there's problems. What do you think? Everything is just be between other, uh, all kinds of strange things. Even regular relationship have all kinds of problems that you have to treat. You cannot ignore. You don't ignore it now. In 10 years later, there's going to be an atomic bomb in your home. What do you think? Raising children doesn't have problems. There's all kinds of unique and unexpected situations in life that a person needs a special mental treatment. It doesn't mean he's crazy. It doesn't mean he's not normal. That's the normal. The normal that almost every person needs to cure his head. The same thing, you need to cure the body for many problems. The head is the... Now when the head is sick, the whole body is suffering. 
You see, if your finger is not so good, so the finger is not functioning. If you have some problems in uh, one disc in your back, so in certain areas you have pain. You understand? doesn't mean you cannot write an article at the same time that you have pain. You live with the pain and you do what you have to do with some limitations. But when the head is sick, the damage is huge. You understand? What is it like? Like you have a boat with 300 rooms and in one room there is a leak. So you say, ah, it's only one room. 299 rooms are safe. <laughs> you fool. One room will make the 299 go down the tomb. This is it. When the head is sick, in the end the whole body, God forbid, is paying the price. All right, so let's move on. So the Gemara say, when the dogs are happy, they move their tails, like you got them some kind of a bone or, or meat or candy, whatever they like, the, the dogs. How are they happy? They excited the dogs. When you see all the dogs all of a sudden in the neighborhood, they're all very excited. It means Eliyahu Anavi, Elijah is visiting the area. You cannot see it. Only the very righteous people can see it and the dogs. The dogs can see it naturally. Then, the Gemara say, but in one condition, that this group of dogs that are very happy doesn't have a female dog among them. Who got the point? When all the males see a female, the saliva begins to drip. Oh, a woman is passing. That's the dogs. Today it's almost every person. But 2,000 years ago it was only to the dogs. Now, ash. Now, today if a woman passes by and none of the men attract her, I mean attack her, she gets insulted. Why they didn't come to try to bother me? Maybe I'm getting old. <laughs> this is the way the world is. You know, ah, no, nobody will look at me. I can dress like this, don't worry. Trust me, nobody looks at me anyway. You know, she, she kind of hoping that people would make scenes and looking at her to make her feel good and elevate her self-esteem. This is what we're going through. Now the Gemara say, from, from one subject to another, we don't raise behemah daka in Eretz Israel. You know, there are animals that are big and heavy, they call behemagasa. Animals that are light, you can pick them up, they call behemadaka. The behemadaka, what happened like sheep, goats, and uh, chickens, all these things, chicken it's not a behemah, it's a chaya, but what's the problem of raising them in Eretz Israel? What's the problem? Problem is they need to eat grass. And when you let them go on free, everyone has his own yard, his own territory. Animals do not know to tell the difference between the grass here and the grass there. Now somewhere between the huge field, there is a borderline. lines. Not always there is a fence. You cannot come to a person who has a 10-acre yard and tell him you have to put a fence around your entire yard. You know how much the fence would cost him? More than the whole house. To make a fence, if you go to upstate New York, it's very cheap over there. Right? It's far, the further you are from Sodom and Gomorrah, the closer you are to the, to the bathroom, the more expensive is the real estate. When you go far away to the clean area, when there's not that much opportunity to make too many scenes in one minute, then the value of the real estate, instead of going higher, going down. Because this is what the Gemara says, Alma de Shikra, everything is the opposite. So if you go 
two hours north from here, can buy a 10-acre yard with a huge pool and a house and trees and, and lake in your backyard, $400,000. That's a 10-acre. There's no value to the land bachlal. When they sell you the house, nobody even cares if it's 10 or 15 acres. It's going to be the same price, maybe $1,000 different. Because all these yards, it's nothing. It's forest. What are you going to do with that? So now if you need to, fe to fence the entire area, you know how much a fence costs? Very expensive. It's going to cost you $200,000 to make a fence around 10 acres. Very expensive. And then the labor. So now what? Because I don't want your sheep to come into my backyard and eat the, the leaves and the grass from the tree or from the floor. I'm gonna, you're going to force me now to make a fence? No, it's your problem to watch your sheep. However, you know it's very difficult. If you have 300 goats and you take them somewhere and one of them ran into a, a private territory, sometimes you don't even know. You're the shepherd. You're a righteous shepherd. You watch them as much as you can. You even have dogs who help you. But you yourself don't know always which territory is public territory and which one is a private territory. Therefore, if you become a shepherd or an owner of the sheep, automatically you become a thief. So what do you do? Don't raise sheep in Eretz Israel. One goat in your backyard, fine. Because you need the milk, you make cheese with that, you, need, you use the wool, one or two, fine. But to become commercial, commercial like the farmers, not in Israel, Syria, the area of Jordans, all the other places permitted, but here not allowed, no. So the Gemara say, but in the open territories of Israel, when you know nobody lives there, like the deserts, nobody lives there, no houses, no nothing. So whatever grow over there, like on the way to upstate New York, you have mountains full of trees. You know, there's no houses there. There's no sewer, no electric, no nothing. Nobody lives there, nobody private. You know you can take your animals to eat as much as they want. What's the problem? You're never going to steal from anyone. So this is the idea. Any place that nobody lives there, you're allowed to take your sheep and raise them over there. You make yourself a farm, no problem. But areas where people live, not allowed. The Gemara say you cannot raise roosters, chickens, in Jerusalem. Why? There's, Jerusalem is already a holy place. In the time of Bet HaMikdash, you have Kod, Kodashim, things that people bring, they come and they eat. They don't ask permission. The chicken wants to eat. The chicken sees something good. Right away they come and they begin to eat. And you don't raise pigs anywhere. Pigs, nowhere. Why? What's the problem raising pigs? I, s I have pigs. I want to sell them to the Russian people. They love it very much. All the Russian goyim who came to Israel, they eat three times a day pigs. Yeah, so what's the problem? Huh? They're not Jewish. They can eat pigs. What's the problem? Pure huh? Pure In pure animal. Dirty animal. Animal who eats everything it sees. Eat your children diaper. Eats everything. You know... The pig, how long does it take for the food to digest in the stomach of the pig? Do you know? 24 hours. Huh? 24 hours. 24 hours. Which means now, whenever you kill the pig, 
he has undigested food from the last 24 hours in his stomach. Now you have to understand, anything you throw to the garbage, he put his nose in it and he eats, no matter what. You put a bathroom, you put spoiled food, you put worms, you put snakes, whatever you throw over there, he eats. Everything. Now all this poison go into his stomach. Other animals, four hours to digest. So usually when you slather a goat, anything, all this cow goat, they eat grass anyway, all day. It's all, what do you call it, vegetarians? They're vegetarians, it's all organic. They eat natural grass, that's it. So how much poison besides the urine and the blood? The blood and the urine. That's why we put salt, we get rid of all the liquid. You eat kosher, glad meat, glad kosher meat, perfectly fine. No poison, no nothing, no dirt. You eat non-kosher, it's a problem. You eat all the liquid with it because they don't put the salt, they don't slather, whatever. But even in the stomach, of these animals that we eat, it's pretty clean. And even if they ate something not good, it digested in four hours and became blood or waste. The waste go to wherever it goes. And the blood, anyway, we don't eat. But by the pig, when they kill him, you have a pile of fat laying there for eight hours, 10 hours with all the garbage. Remember, he just ate your children's diapers five hours ago. It's all laying there and it marinates the meat, and then they pick it up in Costco from the shelves, and everyone will barbecue, and this is what they eat. You understand what's going on? The Torah says, don't even raise them. Don't raise them in Israel, such an animal. Also dogs, commercial amount, here a dog to watch your place, to watch your sheep, fine. But commercial, not good, unless if he tie all the time with a chain. I don't know if you remember, I, I don't know if he was here. I used to give uh, lectures in a place somewhere here in New York. You know, it was, uh, I don't know, a few weeks on a weekly basis. And there was a very, very dangerous dog there. And I told the owner of the house, after we became some friendly, after I came there for a few times, get rid of this dog. What do you need it for? Told me why, he's a great dog, you watch the place, we can go, we're not worry. That's, the, that's my insurance. I told him all it needs, one time he will attack one of your visitors, they'll sue you for millions. What do you need this? It's a dangerous dog, look how he barks. Without this chain, forget it. He'll murder anyone he sees this dog. He told me, no, come, come see how he listens to me. He, he screamed, the dog is falling on the floor, he's shaking from him. Give him a smack, whatever, the dog is not moving. He, he grabbed him by the head, making a show for me. I told him, listen, listen, it's not impressing me. I'm telling you, he get rid of this dog. Of course, he didn't get rid of the dog. Two years later, a woman went into the house. I don't know what happened. She got in the range of his leash. He has a leash all the time. But she got too close to him. He came and jumped on her and ripped her apart. In a miracle, she stayed alive. After surgeries, she sued him for all the money and all the businesses he had and left him with nothing. Everything he ever saved in his life, everything is gone. If you only listen, now he gave his whole life for a dog. If you only listen to the Gemara, the Gemara in Baba Kama, the Gemara say, Lo ye unless if he always tie with the leash. 
But a safe leash, not a leash that it goes all the way from the backyard into the middle of the living room to the couch. So what's the point of a leash? And porsim nishuvin leyonin, you don't put shovach. How do you say shovach of the birds in, in Hebrew, in English? Where all the birds are coming in, you know, make them a little house. Birdhouse? Bird ah, that's too easy, birdhouse, okay. Birdhouse. You don't put birdhouse. Why? Because some of these doves and birds are owned by private people. And what happened? They come to you because you give them all kinds of food inside. So you're hunting them, and in reality, you're stealing private property of somebody else. Or the other way around. Unless if it's far from the city, Shloshim Ris. Unless if it's a very long distance from a place where people live, then you can put it there. Why? Because the birds over there, it's already Efker. They don't belong to anyone. How did they get that far from the city, right? You're here in the middle of the Nevada desert. You put something for the birds to come. How do you know these birds belong to someone? I didn't come next to your place. So same thing uh, when you go to catch fish. You put the nets in a certain area. Now another fishman is coming. He wants, to, he wants to catch some more fish. If you already see a trap of somebody there, why you come right next to there? You have to go far away. You don't go, your friend put right here the trap, you go right next to him. Your friend opened a business in this block. What do you do? There's a bar barber shop, 57th Street, between 2nd and 3rd Avenue. Up. A week later, after he invested $100,000 to fix the place, somebody has come and opened two, two stores away in the same block. The city is so huge, you couldn't find a place to cut hair just next to me that we both lose 50% of our income. Go five miles away, you make your living, and you come to the same neighborhood, it's like coming to my pocket and biting 50% of the customers. Of course, don't worry, in the end, everyone gets what he deserves. He can take away from your living, Hashem send it to you from another place. But that's not a decent thing to do. Then the Gemara say, five things are about garlic. Garlic. Everyone today, garlic, garlic peels, antibiotic, the best medicine, better than antibiotic. Don't take chemical. There's a whole billions of dollars industry about garlic. The Gemara says like this, garlic, when you eat it with the food, it gives you a feeling that you are full more than what you are. Who knows why? Why garlic? You ate, I don't know, chicken with pieces of garlic in it. It gives better taste. But then after an hour, you feel like you ate much more than what you really ate. It makes you feel stuffed. Why is it? Because it creates a lot of gas in the stomach. It seems that the stomach is full, but it's all air. And the air is pressing on the stomach, and the stomach think, oh, there is food. Because how the stomach works? Once there's contact, then the stomach grinds, and it feels it's all, it's all in a computer. For instance, if you chew a gum, it makes your digestion faster. Why? Because the brain knows that when the jaws are moving, that means my, fr my friend is eating. Remember, there's like a captain sitting in your brain and running the boat. Now, the captain, you know, have all these cameras. He sees something unnecessary there. He press here. Something over there, he press there. Somebody come to attack you, he press on a missile, alert. 
There's things that he does. He runs the show. Now, the brain, this little midget who sits in your brain and runs the show, he knows that every time the jaws are moving, that means you are eating. When you are eating, the stomach has to be ready to receive the food. That means the stomach has to release much more acid juice because there are food coming in. But in reality, nothing is going in because it's a gum. So this is like tricking the computer. What is it like? Virtual CD. You know what virtual CD is? You don't really have the CD, so they made a program. All you have to have is the CD once. You take it from the library. You cannot copy it because they have all these copyrights. And they don't let you copy it. But you want the CD to have by you all the time. So what do you do? So they make a software. You put it in. The computer is like, I don't know, it's like an image. The computer remembers the CD now. And every time you want to play that CD, even though you don't have it, it shows you on the screen like the drawer is opening and like, like the CD goes in. It shows you it's the actual virtual. It's all an illusion. And then the CD plays, even though you don't have the CD. So the computer, you cheat the computer. The computer really thinks that you have the CD. You understand? And it's working. Same thing over here. You move your jaws. The acid juice begins to work. Now, if you have food from four hours ago, now it's burning the food much faster. So it's good. It's not classy. It's not polite to move your jaws like this to eat gums when you talk to people. But if you're alone, no, why not? Now, the garlic is filling you up. Second, is very, very smelly. For that, we don't need a gemara. We know. Third, what's the third? It makes the face of the person lighting up. Fourth, it increases the seed in a man's body by a lot more. He has X amount of seed, of sperm, now it makes it much more. That's why for single guys, the, the Chachamim wrote, the Rambam and many others, that they should not touch garlic at all, not hot peppers, not, gar not onions, things that warm the body and speed the process of creating sperm, a single man should not take because he doesn't have a wife. And he cannot make scenes in Manhattan like some of the Jews who like to go to the club on Motzei Shabbos after Avdalah. It's not permitted in case you didn't know. So it eats the worms in the stomach. There's worms in the stomach almost to every person, especially the little kids. And it kills, and it kills them. They cannot, they cannot tolerate this garlic that burns them in the stomach. And some people say, some people say that it increases love, passion, increase passion, and take away jealousy. Good? That's good. I didn't say everything is bad. Some of the things is good. It eats the worms. It's good. It kills the worms. It stinks. It's very bad. It kills the worms. It's obviously a positive thing. But there are something that is much better than garlic, ginger. Ginger does everything the garlic does and more, and it doesn't smell. You eat ginger, it's a little bit spicy. You can cut it, put it in a sweet tea. You drink it, you swallow it. You don't even have to chew it. You swallow pieces of, gar of ginger, very cheap in store, and doesn't smell anything. It's antibiotic, also za'atar. Za'atar is the best antibiotic. It's increased your health, make your health so much better. 
you can become a much stronger person physically, much healthier, less viruses, less problems, less infections, less none of these things. It doesn't smell, it's delicious, etc., etc. Then the Gemara say, everyone who asks for mercy to his friend and he needs the same thing, he gets it first. You have a friend that is not married and is suffering. You see how much your friend is talking about not finding a shiduch, not finding a wife. And you begin to pray, Avram ben Sarah, Hashem, please send him a wife. Look how much he suffers. Have mercy on him. Send him a wife. Send him a wife. Send him a wife. Who gets the wife first? You. Measure for measure. If you pray, Hashem, send him a wife, but make sure you send me first a wife. He'll get it first. So what's the trick? You and your friends are in the same class. You're both looking to marry. You're in college, whatever. You're both looking to get married. You go every day to pray in a shul. You pray for him, and he prays for you. And both of you will get what you ask for him. You get faster. What he asks for you, he'll get faster, and everyone is happy. That's also the same solution for very poor people that wants to give master. Everybody has to give 10% of his income. Very, very good. So what do you do? The very poor people that have nothing to eat. Nothing to eat. They don't have anything. Well, how much are they going to give master? One dollar a month. How much do they make? They're unemployed. They don't have a job. They don't have anything. So they cannot do the mitzvah of master. So the Ben Ishchai say, well, they cannot get the blessing that the Torah promised by giving 10% of your net income. But at least what they should do is exchange money one with the other. Here, I have a dollar to give. <laughs> I give it to you. You have a dollar, you give it to me. In reality, you give nothing. But at least you show Hashem, look, I want to give. If it was up to me, I really give. Better than nothing, the Ben Ishchai says. Then... The Gemara continue. one person saw a woman on the street and took the cover of her hair out. Then she came to Rebbe. Rebbe was the president. He was sitting in court. No, I'm sorry, it was Rabbi Akiva. She came to Rabbi Akiva, the greatest Jew ever lived. Remember, Rabbi Akiva. Rabbi Akiva became a Baal Tshuva. He became religious when he was 40 years old. And then in a period of 80 years, he became a legend, the greatest and the most successful person in this world in history, even more, more than Moshe Rabbeinu. This is Rabbi Akiva. Because remember, Moshe Rabbeinu spoke to Hashem, and Hashem guided him, and he puts the entire Torah in his head, because he had to teach to others. But Rabbi Akiva achieved everything with very hard work. It's a different level. Plus, he's a Baal Tshuva. He's a person who was wicked, and became very righteous, very big chacham. It's not the same that you're born to Amram. Your father is the most important rabbi in the world, and you also became the biggest rabbi in the world. It's not the same. Growing and taking care of the horses, age 40, doesn't know how to write Hebrew, and then become such a legend, that's a, that's a big achievement. But what about the 40 years that he lost? After all, if he would have 120 years, it would be much greater than what he did in 80 years. You know, imagine another, take away the 13 years of Bar Mitzvah, another 27 years to his life, he would triple his knowledge, triple his achievements, no? So after all, he lost a lot, even though he became very righteous. The answer is, he came back to the world one more time. Who was he? 
רבי משה חיים לוצטו, דה רמח"ל, lived exactly 40 years, wrote more than 100 books, or the biggest Kabbalist that you had in the last 500 years. And both of them in, in Tiberia, buried. And many other things, very similar, this, this connection between the souls. So even the years you lost, since you made such good tshuva, Hashem brings it back to you somehow. Very interesting. The Ari Kadosh came back as Rabbi Shalom Sharabi, the Rashash, the Yemenite Kabbalist, 250 years ago. And before he died, he said to his student, I will ask Hashem permission to come back to the world to help the generation. When did he come back? 250 years after he passed away. And there are many other examples like this. It's not the time for it right now because time is running out. So, he came, the person who took away the cover from the woman, and she came to Rabbi Akiva to sue him. Rabbi Akiva said, you have to give her 400 zoos. Lots of money. A lot of money in those days. A lot of money. He told him, Rabbi, please give me time. It's such a big uh, penalty you gave me. I need time. He said, okay, I give you X amount of time. He gave him enough time to, to, to collect that kind of money. <laughs> so what did he do? This person was following this woman to see if she's really so careful to cover her hair all the time or not. Why? If she always covered the hair, then it's really an insult. She walks in the middle of Main Street and you pull all her cover and everyone saw her real hair. But if you see that this woman anyway, when she goes to fancy weddings, she takes off her hair and she makes it, what insult is that? You're not insulting to show your hair. It's just depends depend on your mood or whatever, whatever comes first. So, he broke some kind of a barrel with oil in front of her. And she started to go like this, pulling her hair, because the tradition used to be that when a person is in, in sorrow, so he's pulling his hair off. No, no. So she took her cover and she started to pull her hair off. No, wow, such a damage. So he brought quickly with him two witnesses to see how she doesn't care. She walks here, look, she's in the middle of the street without her hat, whatever it was. Then he came back to Rabbi Akiva. Say, for, for this kind of not modest woman, you want me to pay her 400 zoos? He told him, just to give you an idea, how much is 400 zoos? When a person gets married, the entire amount of money he has to give his wife when they get divorced, or if he dies, his children inherit him, not his wife, his children. But the wife has a ktuba, an agreement how much he must give his wife, 200 zoos, which was a lot of money for her to live for the rest of, his li of her life. And here, this person who took the hat out of the, woman, the married woman's head had to pay now double to her than what her husband will give her if he divorces her. You understand how much money we're talking here about? I cannot translate it to dollars, but... I want to tell you that there was a big amount of money. Now nah, I give her $1,000 and finish. A lot of money. 
So now he's trying to get away with the payment. So he comes to Rabbi Akiva. He said to him, for this woman, you want me to give him 400? So he said to him, Rabbi Akiva, Lo amarta klum, achovel be'atzmo, af al pi she'eno rashai patur. Acherim she'chavlu bo, chayavim. So Rabbi Akiva said to him, pay. Why? If a person came and made a damage to his hand, his wife got him angry, he started to bang on something and he broke his arm. When he gets angry, he goes crazy, he hit the table and break his arm. It's allowed, according to the Torah, to make a damage to your body. It's a sin from the Torah. It's like eating pork, same thing. Why? You don't have permission to hurt your body. You don't have permission to make scars. You don't have permission to break your teeth. You don't have permission to break your nose. You don't have permission to, I don't know, to ruin your, your knees. Whatever people do purposely, there's no permission. Your body is not owned by you. Remember, you don't own your body. And also, you don't own your life. Your life is not yours. You cannot decide what to do with your life. I, sh I I'm, I'm not happy for my life. Let me kill myself. If you kill yourself, you are judged as a murderer, like you murder a stranger. What do you mean? I killed myself. I didn't touch anyone. I never killed a bug in my life. I only killed myself, Hashem. For that, you are 100% a murderer and you violated the Ten Commandments. No, no permission to do it. So, now a person like this, same thing, you're not allowed to damage your body. Now what happens if you damage your body? Let's say you show the people, every time you get angry, you break your arm. It happens a few times a year. And then your friend got angry, and he broke your arm. Now you take him to court, so your friend comes to the judge and says, I don't understand. This guy anyway breaks his arm three, four times a year. He doesn't care to go with the cast all his life. What do you want from me? He doesn't care. I gave him what he does anyway to himself. This is a... He's a masochist. He enjoys pain. He has to pay or not? The answer is yes. He damaged himself. It's not permitted. Yeah, but he doesn't have to pay himself compensation because he did it. But somebody else who did it to him still has to pay and cannot use that excuse. So if you insulted the woman and you have witnesses that she does it to herself anyway, it won't dismiss you from the payment. We learn a very important alachayir. You may think, I have to pay you? You're a prostitute. You walk in the street like this. What do you want from me? You don't have any dignity. You don't have any... Sh you have shame? Well, you're all over the newspapers. Today, it applies very much today. Today it applies very much, because today you have all these psychos that film women in intimate situation. They put them on the internet, the whole world see her picture, and now she sues him. I don't know, she wants millions of dollars for putting her picture on a, on a newspaper or something. Now they go to court. The judge has a very serious dilemma. This woman, anyway, she acts in dirty films all the time, and the whole world already knows how she looks without her clothes. Everybody knows her. She's a famous uh, dirty woman. The whole world knows who she is. Now somebody went into her bedroom and took pictures of her inside her bedroom and put it in the newspaper. Now she's suing him? Where is the logic here? The answer is, still have to pay her. I have permission to hurt myself. Remember, you don't have permission. 
But if I did it, it's my problem. But it doesn't mean now the whole world is going to come and make me the same damages. This is a very important thing. Then the Gemara says, the word machala zemara, it's bitterness. Velama nikrashma machala, 83 sicknesses are in it. Machala in numeric value. Mem it's 40, chet is 8, lamed is 30, so so far it's 78, and a it's 5. 78 plus 5, 83. The word machala shows inside that is 83 different sicknesses. And how do you get rid of these 83 sicknesses? How? By eating bread in the morning meal. When you start your day, at least one slice of bread. Pita bread, rye bread, whole wheat bread, bagel, doesn't matter. You cannot reach bread, cake, cookies, it's also like bread. Pat shacharit, morning meal with a little bit bread, at least one ounce of bread, save us from 83 sicknesses. I cannot describe the name in the modern language because this was written 2,000 years ago. But how much we can get saved by doing a good breakfast? Now I know what you're going to tell me. Rabbi, I don't even eat breakfast because I eat very late at night. And then I'm, I'm full in the morning. I went to sleep 2 o'clock after a big meal. Now I get up in the morning, I go, I pray, and I go quickly to work. I only become hungry at 12, 1 o'clock in the afternoon. Change your schedule, my friend. Force yourself three days in a row not to eat at 1, 2 o'clock at night. When do you eat? 8 o'clock in the evening, last meal, finished. It's also not good to go to sleep with full stuffed stomach. Everything standing in your stomach, it's very difficult. Shocking the entire system. Eat that when you go to sleep, most of the food is anyway already digested. Then you get up in the morning, you already open up your opening your eyes, very hungry. So you drink something, a little tea, coffee, you pray, you come, you eat breakfast. It can be two minutes breakfast. Two minutes, half a bagel, it's enough, or it's already announced. A muffin, you don't have bread. You don't have time. You have, I don't know, the train in five minutes. You buy a kosher muffin, you eat it. It's also pachachrit. Pretzels. Sweet pretzels. Cinnamon scroll. Corazon. It's all fall into this category. Doesn't need that much time. You buy it quickly. Oh, you eat it. Or you take it, you buy a pack, and every day you eat one. And this is, and also, also, I know that most of the nature of people is different than what it used to be. These 83 sicknesses, we don't know how many of them apply to today or not. Because remember, the nature of the people changed. Many of the things that the Gemara said that they're healthy, today we know that they're not so healthy anymore. Or many of the things that it's poison to the body, they're not such a poison anymore. Why? Everything in nature changed. The nature of the man, the nature of the woman, the eyesight, the hearing ability, all kinds of sicknesses are different. Animals were different. The pregnancy of some of the animals is different. Some of the animals in the Gemara used to give birth to X amount of months, and today is different. Sometimes longer, sometimes shorter. Many things changed. The Gemara said there used to be women who give birth after 12 months. Where do you see people today give birth after more than nine months? Nine, nine and a half months, finished. Do you imagine a woman 
She's already 12 months pregnant, and the doctors say, we want to induce, you're gonna die. And the baby, you and I, the baby's gonna come out of your mouth soon. It's 12 months, you know what, another three months? The baby is a 10 pound. Three more months, it's gonna be 20 pounds. How are you gonna, it's gonna be like you cannot go through the door. Today, yes. But in those days, also I gave an example, an old rabbi had, uh, there was a fire or something, he picked up two guys, picked each one of them in his hand and started to run like a teenage. Find me one old person that can pick up two people and start to run. <laughs> the old people cannot pick up their cane <laughs> when they walk. It's, every five minutes they have to stand or to sit, to rest. How is going to pick up two 20 years old guys each one of them is 200 pounds and start to run in a fire. People used to fast from one week to each other. Thousands of people. All these chachamim eating only on Shabbat. You know anyone in the world today that cannot eat six days straight? Only drink? Every week for his entire life? So obviously, many of the things are changed, but in general, for general knowledge is always good. We have two more minutes left. Let's do this page and finish. Amar Rabbi Yochanan, someone who his father left him a lot of money. His father passed away and made him a rich boy. Now the kid has a lot of money. If he wants to lose all this money, he should wear linen clothes. Go buy himself linen clothes. He will use utensils that are made from glass. He will, what does it mean? Now the Gemara say, how a person would live in such a fancy, luxurious lifestyle that very, very short period of time, he would lose all his father's wealth. You want, it's like today, you want to, your father left you a few million dollars. You want to destroy it right away? You buy a house in a neighborhood that the taxes, there are $100,000 a year on a house. Then you buy another vacation house another $80,000 a year taxes. You buy two, three cars, this, a lot of jewelry, this. Before you realize, the money is gone. Cannot pay, put gas in your Rolls Royce. Everything is gone. We have fools like this today. Soon as their father die, in three, four months, the entire empire is collapsing. Why? Buy drugs, buy every hour he buy a new suit, goes here, buy a car, racing car, the car, police pull him over, he say, you know what, don't give me a ticket, take my Ferrari. My, my driver's, uh, driver's history is also very bad. Here, take the car, leave me alone. The policeman is happy. They make a deed here, take the car, finish. Baruch Hashem. Two months, three months, he lost everything. That's today. What it used to be there. Alphets that made from pure linen probably used to cost a lot more because it's much harder with linen. So he said, wear linen clothes like a king. No, what's the second thing? Use Great pots and utensils that made from clear glass. Today it's all machine make. But in the old days, it used to take beach sand and make it by hand and burn it. You know how they see it? They do it by the Niagara Falls. There's a store over there that the guy makes all kinds of beautiful glass. It's a lot of work. It's very expensive. Usually people use it today to put it in the wall unit. But that's rich people eating this, what we call China, or all kinds of silverware like this. And rent. Get workers to work for him in his businesses and don't supervise them. Trust them to run the business. <laughs> Put workers. Oh, I have a hotel. Don't worry, Rabbi, I have manager over there. I have people who runs it for me. 
the hotel make four million dollar a year net, three and a half million goes to the pockets. If you're lucky, you get half a million. Why almost everyone is a thief, wake up. No, no, believe me, you know what the yamaka this guy have? Five in the morning is in a, in a shul. I once gave money to a guy, that's when I was in my 20s, because my neighbor told me, this guy is staying by me every morning, he wake up at five in the morning, you know? Every, every morning he wakes up at five in the morning, before the davening, one hour reads Tehillim. So, I was naive. <laughs> I'm talking to you more than 16 years ago, 15 years ago. So I said to myself, this guy one time came to me and said, I need a loan right away, but don't worry, a few days I'll give you back the loan. Me, like the Torah, I bring a witness. <laughs> Here, see, I give him cash. <laughs> In the end, it was an alcoholic, gambler, uh, going to prostitute, the biggest crook in the world. <laughs> so, you know, not everything that looks what it looks, this is it. So what's happening here? It says like this, you want the worker to run your business, don't be surprised that they bury you. You want the business to be successful? Now you may say, but wait a minute, Rabbi, you're contradicting yourself. Didn't the Torah say that the Parnassah comes from Hashem, not from the business? Yeah, but Hashem didn't say there's a mitzvah to be an idiot. There's nowhere in the Torah that Hashem said, be a fool. Don't worry, I continue to give you. I gave you a business. I gave you another hotel. I gave you this. I gave you that. What do you want to do? You don't want to work a little bit? What do you want to do? Watch it. Come. Surprise them. Show up. Hey, what are you doing? You never show up. Of course they eat you everything. You know, I, I know a guy that uh, he owns a pizza shop and he fired his manager and got a new manager. And the first two weeks that the new manager came, the profits in the business was tripled. Tripled, which means the other guy was stealing at least $1,000 a day from the register with no mercy. You understand what's going on here? Why I say for two weeks? Because after that, the, other, the new manager got confidence and he started to eat. I always tell people when you give donations to large organizations, if it's a tiny organization, they don't have buildings, no offices, no secretaries, no cars, none of these expensive things, then, you, then there's a chance that most of your money goes to the cause. But when you give to big organization, big institution, what is it like if I want to give a piece of ice to the person who sits in the end of this room? So we have 15 people on the line. So I give him the ice, he gives him the ice, he gives him the ice, he gives him the ice. By the time he gets to the destination, it's a little tiny drop of, uh, of sugar. There's no, almost nothing left. This is what happened. You give $1,000, $100 from it goes to the building. 100 goes to the cars of the employees, 200. A salary of the secretary, 100. Another secretary, another 100. And then, uh, you know, all kinds of things that they do. They advertise here, advertise there, so it's another 100. In the end, the 1,000 that you gave to that cause, 700, 800 of it went to the stomach of all kinds of people into the beautiful chandelier and for the toilet paper. And how much really got? 
to the cause, not that much. So the idea is not to be full, to know where to invest and how to invest. And I want to finish with this. You should know that there is a, a very good organization here in Queens, which most of their activities in Israel, I'm sure you heard about it, everybody here in Queens knows about it. It's called Chickens for Shabbos. Now why do I speak about Chickens for Shabbos? I know many organizations who give food to poor people, many. But Chickens for Shabbos is unique, why? Because it runs by two righteous people, one I do not know, but one I know very, very good. And I know, and I have Baruch Hashem after all these years, experience of reading people if they're real or not. I learned over the years with the help of the Torah, intuition, seeing all kinds of things. It's already life experience. Very kosher person, 100% pure. Everything they ever collected goes directly to the poor people. Not 1% of the money goes on a waste. Not for building funds, not for parties, not for fundraising, not for advertisement, not salaries. Every one of the workers of this place is 100% volunteer. Not one person get, get a salary. Not only that, there are expenses to run the place. You need to pay rent, this. Who? Him, Rabbi Newman, and his partner, and a few other helpers are paying from their own pocket the cost of maintaining the organization. You understand? And the most important thing is that even when you give money to poor people, there are different levels. If you give it to a poor person who anyway eats anything he see, pork, horse, monkeys, worms, everything he see eats, or he drives on Shabbat, what mitzvah there is here to give him gasoline that he should drive in a car on Shabbat? Well, who do they give their money? Almost all the money goes to melamdim. You know what does it mean, melamdim? Your children's rabbis here that get lousy $30,000 a year salary and they have seven, eight children and the money that they make in yeshiva it's not enough for three months to live and the rest of the seven, eight or nine months that they are short they don't have money, what their children can starve so he is doing everything he can to help this melamdim to have enough food and something to wear that they should continue to teach in yeshiva Torah that all our children will not become John Gotti, mafia. Because remember, it's a cycle. You don't help the melamdim to teach your children? Yes, the melamdim will collapse. They'll go bankrupt. They'll starve. They won't have what to wear. And your children will become murderers. What do you think? You understand the idea here? So now, everyone who wants to give to poor people for food, that's an important cause. I always say, there's levels of things. Here, it goes to people who learn and teach Torah, so it's like giving to Torah learners. There's only one thing that is greater than this, is saving people to make them religious. But in every other cause I know, no other cause comes near this. Giving money to poor people who teach Torah and learn Torah, holy people, keeping Torah, mitzvot, madness, everything according to the Torah, helping them to be able to put a piece of chicken on Shabbat on the table or bread or whatever. Very big mitzvah. But there is one more investment that it's even better than this. What is it? Making non-religious Jews religious. Because the profit is much greater. Giving them food and maintaining them for the next month, thanks to you, they leave the month, this family. 
but the month is over, the mitzvah is over. I gotta be honest, I, I have to tell you the part. Now, up to now, I told you all the positive. Now I tell you, I don't wanna say negative because there's nothing negative about helping the children of Hashem to eat and to, and to be able to learn Torah, of course. But there's something even higher than this. Is taking a complete non, non, ignorant person, ignorant Jew that has no idea, giving him CDs, inviting him to the lecture, putting him in a website, he's listening, he's starting to put filin, starting to keep Shabbat, keeping all kinds of mitzvot, and then he has children, and the children will keep mitzvot, and then grandchildren, and grand, grand, grandchildren a thousand years already. Each one of them is your son. Remember, you made a household, the head of the family, that's all, you made him religious. And he married a religious woman. And now we have seven children. And the seven children have 70 grandchildren. And the 70 grandchildren have 700 grand-grandchildren. And about 300 years, there is 50,000 people who keep mitzvot and learn Torah all day. You, you are in Shamaim every Rosh Hashanah get the reward for the 50,000 people because you save one person 300 years ago. 50,000 children you have. Every mitzvah they do, you earn. You got it? No other thing comes near it. Remember, if you're clever, Bezrat Hashem, I really want to help this Jew. I see he gives his heart, heart, standing in synagogue, screaming, crying for people to help them. So far, they gave $7.1 million out to poor people. 99% of the money is to poor people in Israel, 1% here. But 1% from 7 million is a lot. But most of it goes to Israel. Poor people in Israel is higher level than poor people in America. Eretz Israel, because it's a holier place. There are levels in tzedakah, everybody should know it. Be'ezrat Hashem, if you cannot give, you convince other people to give. Every person you convince to give tzedakah, Hashem pay you bigger reward than the actual person. If you convince your friends, give uh, chickens for Shabbos a thousand dollars from your master money, and he agree, it count in Shamayim, you give more than a thousand. Gadola me'aseh yoter minahoseh, it's a great reward. You can be the poorest guy in the world, and in tzedakah, you can make more tzedakah than Bill Gates. You can be a, a, a high school kid that don't have twenty dollars in your pocket. But you go and speak to rich people and convince them to make CDs, to donate to the website, to donate for food for poor people. And every one of them say, okay, you know what, I'll donate $200 a month. I donate 500 a month. I donate 100 a month, 50 a month, whatever. Every one of them who gives, in Shamaim it counts you gave. You come to Shamaim, say, Hashem, look at me, I'm broke all my life. I hardly had money in my pocket. Such a poor man, Hashem say, believe me, you're richer than uh, all these billionaires. Why? They gave. But if we combine all the people who gave thanks to you, thanks to your efforts, what's happening here? You have more mitzvah, more donation than all, all these rich people. Why? Because you, in, you influence hundreds to give. Yes? There's chickensforchavis.com if they want to donate. that's what I was talking about. You know, you know what it is, like I say, other organization, they also, I'm sure they do good things, but it's not run by volunteers 100%, and whatever you give goes to all kinds of bureaucracy, expenses on the road. They need a car, they need a van, they need secretaries, phone bills, electric bill, rent, mortgage, 
it's right away 50, 60, 70% of the money is gone. Why? That's the way of maintaining an, a large organization. But when you make an organization which 100% of the people are volunteers, the girls who picks up the phone, the people who prints, the people who's, who goes to give the food, it's all 100% volunteer. Nobody gets a salary, not the president, not the, nobody. Right away, all these expenses turns into mitzvot because it goes purely to the pocket of the poor people. Baruch Adonai Le'olam, Amen ve'amen.